Good morning. I love these Southern California mornings where we can have even a little bit of rain. Isn't that nice? Uh, still need a fire, something warm on. Welcome to Reflection. Um, we're hoping to begin meeting in person soon. Uh, we'll let you know more about that. We're planning on returning to the, the clubhouse in Dana Point. Uh, only we'll meet outside at first in the back in the grassy area. So we'll bring lawn chairs and make ourselves comfortable there. Uh, I first have to get some liability insurance before we can do that. So we're working on that and we'll let you know what's going on. In the meantime, the peace of the Lord be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love us so thoroughly and completely that you know us from head to toe. You know our dark little corners. You know our brightly lit um, pathways. You know our anxious thoughts and you know our glorious thoughts of you. We are a bundle of, of contradictions and for that we ask not only forgiveness but your help to make us solid through Jesus name. Amen. Okay, we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 4. It may not be clear uh, at first where I'm going with this, but this is when Moses is encountering God at the, uh, the burning bush. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. All right. Some of you will remember when Jake Caldwell spoke at Reflection. This was maybe a year and a half ago. I don't quite recall. Um, and he has written a book entitled Tending the Body, and he writes it as a physical therapist, which he is. And in it, he, he talks about how to keep the body supple. He says, who doesn't want to be supple? Who doesn't want to be able to move with grace and ease? Who doesn't want to be free of tension and restrictions? He tells us that pain is a picture that the body paints in order to say something to us. All pains can be read for their messages. What is the body saying when it limits our suppleness? Whatever else the body wants, it certainly wants our attention. And this is what we have been doing in our Sunday talks. We've been paying attention to our bodies, learning to listen, 
to what our bodies are saying to us and how God is using our bodies, how, how the body is physical and spiritual at the same time. So um, it's not just about suppleness. We're discovering the spiritual experience of life in a body. Thomas Ryan, in a book that he edited entitled Reclaiming the Body for Christian Spirituality, said, there are many ways in our culture in which we do honor our embodied nature, from skin creams to fitness centers, but rarely do we pay attention to our bodies with the intent of opening ourselves to God through the experience we are having in our bodies. When we pay attention to what we are living in our bodies and how that opens us to the flow of grace in new ways, the result is renewal. And I hope that you're beginning to experience some renewal as we pay attention to the way God works in our bodies and speaks to us through our bodies and, and opens up our consciousness to new levels of awareness through this, this attentiveness to God's presence within us, uh, his spirit witnessing to our own spirits. We began with the crown of the head, we're working our way down and we descend today to the nose and the mouth. Those are the body parts we're gonna look at this morning. Now, the nose, or the word for nose, does not appear often in the scriptures. And when it does, it's usually when someone is putting a, a ring in a person's nose. God says to Israel, I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrist and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears. If not a ring, then someone's putting a hook or a rope into someone's nose in order to drag them around and control them. As God puts a hook in the nose of King uh, Sennacherib and draws him away from Jerusalem. It, it's a metaphor, but you can see its significance. Uh, a ring in your nose, if someone grabs hold of that, you're going to follow them. More often in scripture, uh, instead of the nose, we read of a person's nostrils. And this is where we first received the breath of life. Then the Lord God formed the man from the, of dust, the man of dust, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living creature or literally a living soul. Helmut Thielke once said that we are constantly told that humans are just animals. And he said, that's true as far as biology goes, but we are more than biology. This breath of life is what makes us more than biology. The human person is one part soil of the earth and one part divine. And having that breath of life is, is what defines us as human over against other animals. The divine breath is in us is what it means to be alive and kicking. As Job said, as long as breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils. 
as long as I'm alive, he's saying. But it's the Spirit of God in his nostrils that gives him life. Nostrils, especially God's, um, could pro, pro, pardon me, could propel a blast of air, like in a sneeze. Whoosh. And uh, this is how God parted the waters of the Red Sea. Again, we're talking in metaphor, but it was the blast of his nostrils that parted the waters and dried the the seedbed for his people to walk through. Flared nostrils <clears throat> indicated anger. Thomas Stobley and Sylvia Schroer said, in the Old Testament, we read of an inflamed nose. This metaphor is based on the idea of angry snorting. Of course, the English Bible translations have became angry or was angry instead of a literal translation of the inflamed nose expression. But in the process, as so frequently happens, the metaphorical and anthropological features of the saying are lost. The beauty of the metaphor, the, the poetry, the aesthetics of the poetry are lost when we go from the, the literal to the significance of the literal. It's saying God's nostrils were inflamed but uh, instead of appreciating the poetry of that, we say, well, he got angry. As sensitive receptors, the nostrils can become irritated by things that are inhaled. Uh, for instance, God says that people who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are a smoke in my nostrils a fire that burns all the day, God says. They're an irritation to him, people who are holier than thou. There are frequent references to what the nose does. And as we have seen in each body part, and we'll continue to see, it's not always the body part that is in focus, rather it's the function. It's what happens with or through that body part, it's, its purpose, its role in the body. So it's not surprising to find uh, the nose and the mouth in the same passage. They give us a combined sense of smell and taste. And as you know, what we taste when we bite into food has a lot to do with what we smell. In fact, um, the aroma of food is the beginning of the digestive process and just smelling the food already prepares our body to eat and digest and assimilate what we eat. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. This is the lover talking to his beloved uh, bride. How beautiful is your love. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. Lebanon was this lush forest. If you've ever been into a forest, let's say a ponderosa pine, as in Flagstaff, Arizona, oh, just arriving there for me and, and opening the car door and getting that waft of of pine scented air is so rejuvenating. It's 
it's so refreshing. It's such a blessing to me. Um, and here, uh, smell and taste are combined in the way that the lover experiences his beloved. In the sacred art of icon painting, and I, I guess I should preface that with uh, the first time I went to Russia, a friend of mine encouraged me to have uh, an open view of icons and not think of them as idols that people worship, but think of them as sacred art that's meant to speak volumes about Christian spirituality and encourage us to the, to the virtues of those who are depicted or to come and to join those who are in the painting uh, to hear their message, what they have to say to us, because it's a biblical message. It's the message of scripture and Christian history. And so um, I noticed this strange Byzant uh, Byz Byzantinian, Byzantine art uh, that uh, the people all looked kind of weird. Well, there are two Russian authors who explain that. Um, they said, an excessively thin nose, small mouth, and large eyes. All these are a conventional method of transmitting the state of a saint whose senses have been refined, as they used to call it in old times. The refined senses filter out much that is unwanted. Um, and with the nose, it's small, only so much can get in, so you make sure that you're breathing the right stuff. And with the mouth, that you're eating the right stuff, but also the small mouth, that you don't speak as much as you listen. You don't waste a lot of energy with words unnecessarily. There's a refinement of, of speech with the small mouth. And so let's go from the nose to the mouth. The mouth is far more complex in the scripture, and it recurs many times, not only in the Old Testament, but the New. And, and not only is the mouth mentioned, but also its articulators. And the articulators have to do with how we form the words that we say. We don't typically pay attention to this. We learned it as infants. We weren't taught. Um, this is how you move your lips, your tongue, your teeth, your palate, how you use your palate to pronounce words, but all these are necessary to the process of speech. When my oldest son, Will, was um, a year old, he had quite the vocab vocabulary of more, more than a hundred words, but for some reason he, he could not get certain words, like his own name, he called himself Willow instead of William, and he uh, and he, he would not say open. When he wanted something to be open, he'd say, meno. He might hand us a, a bottle and say, meno. And, uh, and I really worked with him on this. I said, William, say open. And he'd say, meno. And I'd say, say o. He'd say, o. Say pen. He'd say, pen, o, o. Pen, pen, say open, and he'd say, may no. <laughs> he just couldn't get it. 
anyway, uh, he finally did. He's got it today. But, uh, okay, so these articulators are used in the same way that the mouth is used. The, the mouth, your mouth, our mouths, the mouth is a gift. It's an instrument of spiritual value. And we need to understand this about the mouth. Because it is so special, what it does is critical. And what it does is it, it speaks. And it's critical that its words are seasoned with grace, as Paul will say, that its words are edifying. It's really important that we pay attention to this particular body part and to its articulators. Um, in the book of Numbers, uh, Moses is sharply criticized by his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron, and God takes them to task and he explains if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. This mouth to mouth uh, communication is the most direct kind of encounter. A speaking self is communicating with another speaking self. They both speak and they both listen. This is a mouth-to-mouth -mouth connection. Again, mouth-to-mouth -mouth is metaphorical, but we understand by using this expression how close it brings these two together. Two vocal partners in speech, two partners in conversation. This is where Moses' walk with God began in conversation. He's at the burning bush, and God makes a statement, and Moses raises a question, and God gives an answer, and Moses raises an objection. God overrules the objection, and Moses tries another diversionary tactic. He's trying to get out of this. He says, well, well God, who am I? And God says, doesn't matter. I'll be with you. And he says, okay, well who are you? I mean, if I go and say, God told me, Egypt has lots of gods. And God said, not like me. And in this conversation, God finally, you know, does some arm twisting and also some compromise. Uh, but they're talking mouth to mouth. Kissing signified respect. You might kiss the ring of someone or kiss the feet of someone very, very important if you feel very, very unworthy. Um, it can be a sign of reverence. Uh, it can even be an act of worship. Uh, proskenuo, uh, the, we're often told that the Greek word for worship means to turn and kiss. Uh, it was always an act of devotion that expressed intimacy. And so family members would kiss when they met up with each other or when they were saying their goodbyes as when Naomi kissed her daughter-in-laws when she was saying goodbye to them. And, and so with the most intimate of all relationships, uh, again, that of the lovers in the Song of Songs, where the beloved begins 
Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. The tongue could provide an interesting study in itself in the scriptures. It appears more than 50 times in just Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. Job, Psalms, and Proverbs have a lot to do with body parts, but that the tongue appears so many times is significant. It is used literally uh, of drinking water uh, or the tongue stuck to the palate or the tongue uh, parched with thirst. All of these are literal references to the tongue. And uh, tasting food and tasting drink are also literal, but they can also be metaphorical as when the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, come and have a taste, have an experience. This is, this is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. Uh, we can also taste the future, have a taste of the future and its powers and its glories. And we can, we will taste death as Jesus did in Hebrews 2.9. But much more often than its literal use or its tasting use is that the tongue can often be weaponized. You, you know what I mean? Uh, Psalm 140, they make their tongues sharp as serpents' teeth, and under their lips is the venom of asps. They make their tongues as sharp as teeth. The, the tongue can plot destruction and become a sharp razor in Psalm 52. A tongue lashing is a verbal whipping, as in Job 5.21. The third chapter of the book of James contains a lengthy essay on the destructive powers of the tongue, how it can set forest fires how on the one hand it can turn a ship at sea or a horse with its bridle. On the other hand, it can bring down the whole world. But we also see the ambivalence of the tongue. If it can do damage, it can do good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. The tongue of the wise brings healing and so on. In fact, the tongue itself can be inspired. David saying, the Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. And in another place he wrote, My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready writer. My tongue's all ready to, to record what God has to say or what I have to say of, of God and his, his glory. The tongue, the word tongue, can also mean a native language. Each person speaks in their own tongue, their own language. And these languages were divided at the Tower of Babel, but in the New Testament, speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. I have to stop myself here because there's still a lot about the tongue that, that we could address. So let me just encourage you that when you come to it in scripture that you think of your own tongue 
you think of your own speech and, and you put yourself there in the scripture and then put the scripture into yourself. You know, Ezekiel is given a scroll and he's told to eat it. And he says that in his mouth it was sweet, but when it reached his stomach, it turned sour. And, and this, is, this is the opposite way things usually go for us. That go, we, they go from within us through speech out of us. But this speech goes in and becomes a part of Ezekiel. He carries it within him and he carries this intensity of, of the bitterness of what he has to say to Israel. But it, it's first a part of him before it becomes his speech. That's so important. You know, who is the hypocrite? The person who talks but doesn't have within himself or herself uh, what they talk about, what they describe. Okay, from the tongue, we can go to the teeth. And like the tongue, the teeth can be used as weapons. My soul is in the midst of lions, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. In another place, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. They want to chomp us to pieces. <sighs> Clean teeth can mean that someone has nothing to eat. Uh, clean teeth does not, in Scripture, mean you just got back from the dentist. It, it means uh, you're hungry, that, okay, that, that you don't have any food between your teeth. That's a nice thought. Um, there's an instance of people grinding their teeth in rage at Stephen in Acts chapter uh, 7. And there's the famous gnashing of teeth, for instance, in uh, the book of Matthew. Uh, um, grinding, people grinding their teeth in frustration and regret and despair. Uh, one time, many years ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the world, um, a man in a singles Bible study that I taught asked that we would all pray for his father. And he was really animated. He said, please pray for my dad. Uh, he, he's not well, and he doesn't know God. And I, I hate to, for him to go to a place of gnashing of teeth because he, he doesn't even have teeth. He'd be gnashing his gums. Very vivid graphic word picture. Uh, and kind of lame. The lips have the same capacity as the tongue and the teeth, the same capacity for harm. The lips can contain venom, or they can contain nectar, as in the Song of Solomon. Unclean lips is our everyday speech. And those lips have to be purified if we're going to speak God's message, as in Isaiah chapter 6. Strange lips refers to a foreign language. The lips are pronouncing words we don't understand. And lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. The mouth and its articulators are mostly about their function, and their function is speech. The book of Proverbs has plenty to say about speech, as elsewhere in Scripture. Again, Stobley and Schroer say, countless sayings in the book of Proverbs 
are devoted to the beauty and balance of speech, the art of proper and timely speech in silence, and especially just and unjust speech, righteous and unrighteous speech. Again and again, they admonish to honest speech, warn against glibness, lying, and the use of too many words or hasty speech. Okay, so we, we find that there are proverbs about timing, the, the right word at the right time. For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. And notice that the wise man says, keep silence first. We need to spend more time learning how to keep silent than how to speak. I mean, speaking properly is important. And I mean, speech is vital, but we have to learn first how to be silent, how to listen and to take in. There's the appropriateness of right speech. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Appropriate speech, you know, so many times I'm with someone who's suffering or grieving and I'm desperate to say the right thing and the wisest thing I can do is keep my mouth shut. There's a well-known poem called The Fool's Prayer. Uh, a king asks his gesture, his gesture to make a prayer. And, and part of that prayer, the gesture says, these clumsy feet still in the mire go crushing blossoms without end. These hard, well-meaning hands we thrust among the heartstrings of a friend. The ill-timed truth we should have kept. Who knows how sharp it pierced and stung. The timely word we had not sense to say. Who knows how grand it could have rung. We say the wrong things when we try too hard to say something. We never say the wrong thing if we just keep our mouth shut. There's also the cheapness and the danger of words and of flattery and too many words. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. I got a great deal back there. Can't trust those words. When words are many, Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And then a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Why is this salesperson so flattering to me? Hmm. Then there's the value and the blessing of right speech. Like the gracious words, which are like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. The mouth and the hand worked together. We'll eventually get to our hands, but the hand moves things around in physical space. The mouth moves things around in mental space. King Solomon at the dedication of the temple prays to God and says, you have kept your word with your servant David, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it. So speech and, and doing go together. The mouth and the hand can work uh, in an integrated way. 
But more important than the connection of the mouth and hand is the connection of the mouth and the heart. And really, there's a whole sermon here. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says. He criticized the Pharisees by how careful they were with the food they ate, that, it, that eating the wrong thing or in the wrong way without proper purification could defile them. And Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of the mouth. Because what comes out of the mouth comes from the, the heart. And that's where all the, the dark things live. And that's important to remember. Jesus is, is reiterating the beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart. Our truest words, our, our words that are truest of ourselves, do not come from our mind what we fabricate in our mind, but from our heart, what we say spontaneously, uh, what we say with feeling and, and meaning and passion. I haven't mentioned yet the mouth of the Lord uh, because that also is here in scripture. Um, what was remembered as coming from the mouth of the Lord was remembered as being spoken by God and therefore authentic. There's a good example of this in Joshua chapter 17. Like Jesus, and like he said to the tempter, our survival depends on what comes from God's mouth. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, or the mouth of the Lord. We have been, in reflection, very concerned with training our ears to hear what comes from the mouth of God, because when God speaks to us, most often it's not with a thunderclap or the roar of a hurricane. Rather, it is that still, small voice, that gentle whisper, that sound of nothingness. And we have to be very sensitive, have very sensitive ears. Again, the ears being spiritual, being this openness and receptivity to God. We have to be very, we have to develop a sensitivity. Someone says, well, you know, do we really have to pay that much attention to the small things? And the answer is yes, because it's easy to hear God in the big things. It takes a lot more sensitivity to hear him speak in the small things. Uh, I also haven't said anything about the mouth of babies and infants. Uh, Psalm 8 out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. That's something. Um, putting two unlike things together, the weakness and helplessness of an infant and strength to overcome enemies. Jesus read a different version of the same verse. Jesus quoted from the Greek translation, which is more like this. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise I hear the praise of God in the cooing of infants, in the voices of small children, in their laughter. Um, <clears throat> there's something about a child's speech, its exuberance, or they speak with, with their whole bodies and they can be shaking, they can be jumping up and down, they can be so excited. Uh, and you hear it in their intonation, how it goes up and down. And, and how it's heartfelt. Uh, 
and then their their honest and innocent observations, which we don't always appreciate. Uh, my eight-year-old grandson, Caleb, and I were outdoor throwing a, a frisbee a few weeks ago, and I had pulled up my shirt sleeve, and one time when he's near me, he looked at me and said, Grandpa, you have old man arms. Yes, I do. Uh, I have pretty much old man everything right now. And uh, uh, so he was very honest with his grandpa. He let me know, you know, like I needed to be reminded. And this, this brings us to the most important use of speech. What? What comes out of the mouth of babes and infants? Yes, if, if praise comes out of the mouth of infants, Jesus is showing us something, something that we can learn from others. And, and that is prayer, prayer itself, communication, and more than communication, fellowship and communion with God. That is a union through communication. That's communion. Uh, praise and giving thanks. Our bodies are receptors of God's love and mercy and grace. But our mouths are for broadcasting his love, for sharing with others his mercy and his grace. So I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's an idea. First of all, if I'm going to bless the Lord and have his praise continually in my mouth and at all times, then that's what has to be in my heart at all times. So maybe I need to check in with my heart. Well, okay, we'll get to the heart eventually. But let's magnify the Lord together. Let's be an inspiration to each other to be thankful. Oh, we can do so many other things on social media uh, other than to encourage us to praise and thanksgiving, to be grateful and to always look to God in everything. We can do so many other things. We can flame, we can burn, we can, we can scorch, uh, but we can plant seeds. And that's what we learned from the Proverbs, that our words can be medicine or they can be poison, that the, the tongue can be a tree of life or it can be a sword that kills. <sighs> Let's do the best that we can by making the heart the best that it can be. One final thought. And that's what the scriptures have to say about a full mouth. For instance, the mouth can be filled with laughter uh, the psalmist says, in returning from exile, it was like living in a dream that our mouths were filled with laughter. But what I have specifically about the, the full mouth, uh, specifically for you and I today, is this psalm. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. This is one of the most beautiful promises I know. It's like Jesus saying, throw out your net for a catch. Uh, your nets aren't gonna 
catch any fish while they're sitting in the boat. Throw them out for a catch. Your mouth isn't going to be filled with good things if you keep it closed all the time. And that doesn't mean speechless. That means you're not going to get those lima beans in my mouth. <clears throat> God doesn't say, open your mouth. He says, open your mouth wide. You know, make a large opening for the goodness that he wants to give you, for what you need to survive and to thrive. God is not stingy or miserly. He is generous with his children. If we hunger for more of his love, God, I need to be loved right now. I need your mercy right now. I need your company right now. If we're starving for more of his grace and goodness, God, give me some encouragement today. Show me some, some good in this world or some good in my life. If we cannot get enough of his presence, then let's open our mouths wide so he can fill us with those things we lack, those things we need, those things we desire. All right, I've said enough. Time to close my mouth, except to open up for God's goodness and, uh, and to bless you. May the Lord bless us may keep away all evil and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll see you next time, I hope. And, and soon, together face to face. I'd say mouth to mouth, but it doesn't work in our culture. Love you. Bye.